When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is sponsored by Book Riot Insiders, the digital bookish resource and hangout spot for readers. Enrich your reading life with our Book Riot Insiders perks. We've got three levels to Insiders, short story, novel, and the epic level, and you can try out any level for free for two weeks. For podcast lovers, meaning you, Insiders at the novel and epic level get access to two exclusive shows, the Read Harder podcast, which gives recommendations for the Read Harder challenge task by task, and Book Riot Remixed, where we randomly pair up hosts from across our shows to talk about, well, whatever they want. Insiders also get exclusive access to bookish deals, behind-the-scenes newsletters, our new release index, the Epic Book Club, and more. Sign up for your free trial at insiders.bookriot.com. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 108, and we're recording on July 9th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Sharifa Williams. We're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we're talking about some of our favorite sci-fi fantasy from the year so far. And I am extremely caffeinated, in case you could not tell <laughs> from the sound of my voice. Sharifa, how are you? I am fine. I probably should have made myself another cup of coffee. <laughs> Nobody knows this, but we are actually recording earlier than we normally would. Um, yeah. But I wake up so early anyway, it feels like it's later in the day. But I'm mm. glad you're very caffeinated. I feel like we're <laughs> going to bring all of the energy that is due for some of the best books today. Yes, I'm so I, I've really struggled with narrowing it down. I have to say there were so so many good books. I feel like we could have just done a whole hour on favorites from the year so far, but we're not going to do that. <laughs> we're going to talk about some other stuff, too. Uh, before we get into everything, I would like to give a special shout out to listener Lauren Kelly. They know why. Thank you so much for the support and the enthusiasm for the show. We appreciate you. Cool. Well, before we start talking about news, I am going to tell you about our sponsor, which is The Freedom Race by Lucinda Roy. The Freedom Race, Lucinda Roy's explosive first foray into speculative fiction is a poignant blend of subjugation, resistance, and hope. The Second Civil War, the sequel, came and went in the United States, leaving fractures too deep to mend. One faction, the Homestead Territories, dealt with the devastation by recruiting immigrants from Africa and beginning a new slave trade, while the other two factions stood by and watched. Gigi lives on one of the plantations in the Homestead Territories of the disunited states to serve and breed more mule seeds. There's only one way out, the annual freedom race. So this is written by activist, uh, memoirist, and poet Lucinda Roy, and this is the first book in a planned trilogy. And if that sounds like a read for you, The Freedom Race is now available anywhere books are sold. 
Okay, it looks like I am up for the first news story, and this is a a weird one that (laughs) I was just like, (laughs) what is happening? So the Miami Herald reported on a comic book shop suing a Texas hotel. Uh, This was reported on by Haley Fowler. And the odd thing about this lawsuit is that the comic book shop, which is called Third Planet Sci-Fi and Fantasy Superstore, actually used a comics, uh, like a, it actually created a comic in the lawsuit to talk about why they were suing this hotel. So it's actually part of the lawsuit. It outlines um, how the store has survived multiple hurricanes and why they're important to the Houston location and why they're bringing the suit and what's been happening. So it's 13 pages of a comic book. um, And I guess it sounds like it might be the first time something like this was done. I have definitely never heard of anything like this before. And we don't know yet, like, how the court actually responded to this. But I, I have... I was like, this is a thing people can do. I was so <laughs> shocked. <laughs> so what's happening, the reason the lawsuit was brought, basically, and you can see the comic, it's included uh, in this article, uh, is because there have been projectiles that were thrown from the building, this huge hotel that um, stands next to the comic book shop. And it's just everything about this is so strange because I'm like, why are people throwing a bunch of uh, fire extinguishers out the window onto this comic book shop? Like, is this some sort of like vendetta thing? I truly don't understand why this is even happening. Um, And then the fact that they decided to respond by creating this comic book is just like totally wild to me. So it, I just, like, thought this was one of the weirdest stories I'd encountered in a while. And I'm really curious about how it will be taken in the court, like, whether yeah. this is going to fly or whether they're going to say this is ridiculous, get out of here. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's super weird. <laughs> it is a very interesting story. And... I I I think one of my favorite parts of this piece in the Miami Herald is that so yeah as as Sharifa mentioned apparently people are like guests of the hotel are chucking things including fire extinguishers out of their balconies which then land on the roof of this comic book store and damage it obviously yeah obviously uh and apparently the hotel holding company has said that they believe that the group responsible for throwing the fire extinguishers specifically, this is just one instance of things that have happened, but the fire extinguishers were get wait for it, members of the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo's Uh 2019 intercollegiate meets judging teams. What? I don't know how I miss judging teams. (laughs) 
Like, that's a thing. You can be a meat judge. Did you know that, Sharifa? I did not. I mean, it I, makes sense now that I'm thinking about it. But I am learning so much today from this weird story because I definitely did not know you could be a meats judge. But Yeah, in college, no less. Like, uh, it's college kids. So anyway, I guess, A, who knows why drunk college kids are throwing fire extinguishers off the balcony of a hotel. That's that's a question I have. Outstanding question I have. Two, yeah, what? how will a, a judge react to a comic book brief? I am not a lawyer or a judge, so I have no idea. But I will say that even if it does not actually you know, work in a legal sense, they're getting amazing publicity. And I would be surprised, just as a, for example, if they don't already have a GoFundMe, if they didn't end up setting one up and getting some money to help repair the damage that is clearly being done. And I can only imagine how frustrating it must be as a shop owner to have this kind of thing happening regularly. I mean, I remember, and this is like so not the same thing, but just as an example, when I worked for a bookstore in Brooklyn and on you know, whatever you want to call it, Goosey Night, Devil's Night, the night before Halloween, we would always get egged, always get egged by the neighborhood teenagers. And it was such a drag and like things got broken and it was so frustrating. (laughs) And, And so like just from my memory of having to deal with that, like I have so much sympathy for the store owner and the store employees for, I mean, there's fires happening, there's holes in the roof and then things are getting damaged because rain gets in and it's just like, it's the last thing you want to be dealing with. So my uh, support goes out to them for the best possible resolution, whatever that looks like. (laughs) But this is a whole, this whole story is just fascinating from start to finish. It truly is. And the last thing I have to say about that is that um, just for those who are curious, the actual comic was uh, illustrated by a company called Bad Cog. And I guess the people of Bad Cog were actual regular customers of the shop. So uh, much luck to this superstore. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that they have some reprieve from this weird throwing of things the projectiles yeah no joke uh all right i think i'm gonna do two real quick i'm gonna cheat a little bit here my first is a bit of follow-up uh we talked about the hugo slash discon 3 situation Mm -hmm. in which all of the hugo event committee had resigned and it was unclear exactly why, although it seemed like it was to do with limits that were or were not going to be imposed on how many finalists could be represented in various ways at the con. And File 770 has a follow-up that does go into more detail. Uh, it was reported by Mike Glyer, and apparently in late June there was a Zoom meeting that to try to like work everything out, and it looks like very specifically there had been an email sent out that said that only like four finalists from any given nomination would be allowed to attend because of space limits. And that was in particular a huge issue for the team that ended up resigning for, I think, obvious reasons. I mean, that's hard. Like if it's a team effort and you can only send some people, like how, 
Yeah. That's that's rough. That's rough. And I, I you know, anyway. So uh, it looks like they are updating that and they're going to allow, uh, they're going to prioritize attendance of the finalists and make space for all of the finalists and their plus ones. So that's that's good news, I think. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure it means that restrictions have to be added in other areas. But from where I'm sitting, why would you not prioritize the finalists, right? Like, I understand yeah. that they're, as, as somebody who's run events and, for the record, like, we're still in pandemic times here. So space requirements are even more complicated than ever before, which they already were. So I understand the need to like have to tighten up things somewhere, but it makes perfect sense to me to prioritize finalists above anything else. Yeah, I agree. And it does sound like uh, one thing I had maybe missed from the initial um, news about this was that it sounds like they also didn't really... Um, make a decision without like they made a decision without asking for yeah. input. And so in this update, they apologized for that and recognized that it was a mistake. So um, I think that I'm glad that they found a solution to this and that the finalists were prioritized in the end. And, um, you know, I, I'm sure they can shuffle things around and make this work. But I'm I hope that everybody is feeling good about where this is going now. Yeah, fingers crossed for that. Yeah. Uh, and then my other quick thing, also from File 77D, uh, reported also by Mike Lyre, is that, okay, I think I had forgotten that this was happening. I There's did an too. Ursula, you're right. It was announced at the beginning of the year, but like that was five million years ago as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. So. There's an Ursula K. Le Guin stamp happening. It will be issued on July 3rd in the U.S. And first of all, I love the design of this stamp. It is beautiful. It has a portrait of Le Guin from 2006 sort of in the foreground. And then in the background, it is a scene from The Left Hand of Darkness, uh, which takes place on an ice planet. And there you can see the two figures like pulling a sledge across this vast field of ice. And the fact that this is from The Left Hand of Darkness means that there is a gender fluid character on a U.S. stamp. Awesome. Now, the, no, I, I haven't seen anything that like takes note of this yet. I'm sure mm. somebody else has knows this, right? Like... This is just a known thing about the characters in Left Hand of Darkness. But I don't know if this is the first time that that has happened on a U.S. stamp. But I think it's super cool regardless. That's a great point. That's super. Uh, when I read this at first, it didn't even, like, occur to me. But, I mean, if I were them, I'd I'd be like, yes, this is, uh, this is a <laughs> like, pretty significant thing yeah, here. That, that right? Be, yeah. Because so, I haven't heard of a previous example of that. So. No, no. Yeah. So that's that's super exciting to me. And I also will say that I had no idea that there was such a thing as like a special first day of issue postmark. 
And I'm not going to try to explain it on air because I'm going to like muddle it. But if you click on the link, you'll see it is beautiful. And I'm 100% going to do the thing to get this postmark. Like I've never collected a stamp or a postmark in my life, but this is happening. So so click on the link for all the details. It's pretty cool. My hope now is that they'll do a fancy Octavia Butler one so I can have like multiple collect. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be amazing. That would definitely turn me into a stamp collector. Right. Right. <laughs> so anyway, excitement about the Ursula K. Le Guin stamp for sure. Definitely. The nerdiest thing I could possibly do is go to this first day of issue dedication ceremony in Portland. Yes. I, I was thinking, <laughs> Sharifa, I was like, oh, man, it's in Portland. Like, you could go. I know. I'm going to see what I'm going to be up to on July 27th. Yeah. And maybe I, I will show up. <laughs> okay. And you'll have to report back to us. There's also, like, a, a virtual thing you can do, which I probably maybe also will do. But, like, for sure, if you go, we need an update. Okay, I will let you know. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's another traditionally nerdy story. Uh, This one's from Tor.com, and it's reported on by Andrew Liptak. And this is uh, a story that talks about how Andy Serkis, the voice of Gollum, is recording the Lord of the Rings audiobook. So how this happened was that, and I think I had missed when this happened, uh, because so much was happening during the pandemic. But Andy Circus had set up a fundraiser to help some UK charities during the pandemic. And for the fundraiser, he read all of The Hobbit by, Tol- by Tolkien, of course, um, in one 12-hour shot, which is like mind-blowing. I don't know how you do that. And retain your voice so because of this fundraiser um harper collins ended up bringing circus on to record a new edition of the audiobook so he's reading the whole saga the entire lord of the rings saga and uh this was announced recently so circus and the rest of the production team who worked on The Hobbit will return to produce The Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, and The Return of the King. Um, And it sounds like I I love the quote from Circus because he talked about how much of an endeavor it was to return to Middle-earth and this coming after... 20 years of first being part of Middle-earth as Gollum, which was like, I didn't realize it had been 20 years. That was Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so he just talks about how much of a, a, how much of a psychological and physical hurdle it was to actually do this Hobbit project. And it was like nothing he'd ever experienced before. And I think that this is just, I I don't think I would personally sign up for something like this because it sounds like a big job, but um, I'm sure a lot of fans will be excited about this new audiobook. Well, at least he didn't have to do it in one shot, right? This time right. he could be in a sound booth and take breaks. I actually tuned in to some of that live stream 
back in the day. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, I did. It was it was really interesting. I I, I did not stay for the full twelve hours. I think I, I tuned in you. for about like an hour and a half, maybe maybe just an hour. But it was really interesting to watch because you know. He just was, like, sitting at his desk, and he had, you know, the camera trained on him, and he had a glass of water, and was, like, it was very clear it was alive as he went reading because, you know, there would be moments where he would, like, have to re-say a line because he felt like he had flubbed it or something. But he it was so fascinating to sort of watch him do this thing and I think when I tuned in he had already been at it for some hours and yeah like I know that there's because my partner is a voice coach like I know there's like techniques that you learn as an actor to try to like you know save your voice but even that you know 12 hours is like a long time to be talking (laughs) in a row and he was just still so into it like he was he was so engaged like you could tell from his expressions and the way his like body moved around a little bit it was fun to watch I believe you can still watch some of that online I'm not 100% positive but it, it it was really cool and interesting and uh, and obviously he's amazing at voices, right? Like we know this about yes. Andy Circus. So I'm sure that this is is going to be a very popular audiobook edition to join the ranks of there are already several editions out there. So now everybody just has all of the picks. Yeah, I mean you can't have too many Lord of the Rings audiobooks apparently. So <laughs> or or print editions. I mean, let's be real. There are like a billion Truly. print editions as well. So. <laughs> Uh, all right, our last but not least story is that the 2021 Locus Award winners have been announced. Uh, this is from a write-up on tour.com by Molly Templeton. And I'm not going to say all of them because there's, you know, there's a lot of awards. But uh, I will call out a few for Science Fiction Novel Network Effect by Martha Wells. One That's one of the Murderbot books, in case you did not know. And then The City We Became, one for fantasy novel by N.K. Jemisin. I am super not surprised about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, horror novel, Sylvia Moreno-Garcia, one for Mexican Gothic. Also not a surprise, I do not think. And A Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking by T. Kingfisher, one for young adult novel. And let me tell you, I've been hearing about that book everywhere. Yep. I'm going to have to pick it up one of these days. It was up against a really impressive slate, too. Like Tracy Dion's Legendborn. Yeah. Was a finalist for that. Justina Ireland had a book in that category. Daniel Jose Older, Rebecca Roanhorse, like Roshni Chokshi. Like this was a I, I really think honestly that all of those YA books should get read by all of us. Uh, so that's my pontificating about that. Um, oh, and then first novel was another one that has been on my list for forever. It's Elatsoe by Darcy Little Badger, which I've been hearing amazing things about. So basically, as always with awards, these just remind me that. I have so much to read. <laughs> yeah, for real. And I mean, there are so many great, great books on these lists. Like, m- many, many congratulations to all of the winners. But truly, I think everybody um, in these categories did such an amazing job creating mm. such wonderful stories. So, Uh, Many congratulations to everybody who made it to this uh, finalist section. Indeed. All right, let's do our next sponsor, and then we will get into some personal favorites of ours for 2021. 
Our next sponsor is Vega Publishing and The Age of the Scions by J.V.A. Young. Anna Wicker's world turns upside down when she finds herself transported to the strange world of Eperidium. There she meets Frey, Felix, and Klomtrop, three magical children known in their worlds as Scions. Together they embark on a rescue mission full of dangerous perils and unpredictable circumstances. At the end, Anna discovers she is capable of doing the impossible, brave enough to withstand the inevitable, and determined enough to form long-lasting friendships that can withstand anything. Anna thinks her time in Eperidium is over, but it has only just begun. So this is an adventure story, as you might expect. It's an exciting middle grade read for intrepid explorers of fantasy realms. And again, that's The Age of the Scions by J.V.A. Young. It's available on Amazon in ebook and paperback. Thanks so much for sponsoring the show. All right. Oh, I'm first. Oh, Lord. So this was so hard to narrow down. Yep. <laughs> to just one each, like one fantasy and one sci-fi. Why do we do this to ourselves, Sharifa? We just love to uh, suffer, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful suffering. It so, is. So <clears throat> I, there was... There was no way I wasn't going to read this book. And then once I started reading it, I was like, well, I probably have to pick this for my best of <laughs> slash favorite of the year so far. I'm talking about The Jasmine Throne, which is the first in the new Burning Kingdoms series by Tasha Suri, who y'all have heard me talk about before. Mm-hmm. Huge fan. And this new series book is amazing. And I do think it's interesting Because it feels different in a way I cannot quite put my finger on from the books of Amba in, like, the good way, right? Like, you want to see an author change things up. And, like, while I think there's – it's clear – like, it's clearly still recognizably a Tasha Suri story. But it is – like, it has a new feel to it. And when I figure out what that is, I will say it. But I haven't figured it out yet. But anyway, (laughs) it's it's great. I will give some content warnings now to let y'all know. Although I probably won't describe anything in detail. Uh, There is child abuse, violent misogyny, and homophobia in this story. Uh, And so this is a sapphic fantasy inspired by Indian history and epics. And as I said, it's the start of a series. And these two characters, oh my goodness. Like, they are so great. They are so different. Although they are both very morally gray and, like, complex and making choices that you're like, oh, Lord, what's going to happen next? Like, (laughs) I'm so stressed out. Uh, So so Malini is a princess. Her brother has become the ruler of the region, the kingdom, etc. And he is a sociopath, psychopath, terrible human. And so he has, like, exiled her uh, after also treating her horribly in various other ways. And she is now imprisoned in this old temple in this sort of rural, quote unquote, or uh, and rural and depressed area uh, where he's basically just expecting her to die. Like she's being drugged. She's just like trying her best to like, you know, foment a rebellion from exile and also working around her imprisonment. But it is tough going and it's not looking good. 
And then when she ends up in this prison, she happens to encounter Priya, who is a maidservant who has been tasked with, like, doing jobs around the temple to, you know, as part of imprisoning Malini there. But Priya has a secret of her own. She is actually like a priestess of an outlawed sect. And the two find that their interests overlap in various ways that I will not go into detail, but it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and the And so they have to figure out, like, Can they save each other? Can they save their respective communities? Like, can they save the entire kingdom from this terrible ruler? And obviously, this is a first in a series. So, like, question still to be answered at the end of book one. Big, epic cliffhanger. Oh, Oh. my goodness. The final scene. Like, when I think about it, I get goosebumps. I have goosebumps right now thinking about the final scene. Ooh, it's so good. But, yeah, I, as you can probably tell, I loved this book. I loved it so much. It is just great. The magic is fascinating. The world is so lush and so detailed. The supporting characters also fantastic. I mean, there's nothing I didn't love about this. So again, I've been talking about The Jasmine Throne by Tasha Suri. Those cliffhangers will get you every time. (laughs) It's rough. And especially, you know, this like just came out. So we're going to have to wait a while for the next installment. But it is worth it, y'all. It is worth it. It sounds like it. Well, for my fantasy pick, I landed on The Chosen and the Beautiful by Nevo, which was a book I was very much anticipating. Um, And this is a queer historical fantasy. It's set in the 1920s. It has very much has that vibe. And it is a magical reimagining of The Great Gatsby, which is a book I admit to disliking greatly (laughs) i mean support for that yeah yeah i just you know i read it in high school and i just did not enjoy the experience but that said i really did trust that nevo whose novella the empress of salt and fortune i've talked about and i absolutely loved would turn this story that Um, I originally read as a story about wealthy brats I didn't care about into something more. And that's definitely what happened. Uh, So The Chosen and the Beautiful incorporates, of course, the iconic characters of The Great Gatsby, including Nick Carraway and Daisy Buchanan, and then, of course, Gatsby himself. But it does center on a new character, Jordan Baker who's the narrator of this story and the protagonist. And Jordan gets caught in Gatsby's web. So Jordan is this really cool socialite. She's an orphan from Tonkin, adopted into a wealthy white family. Not the best people, truly. And we see her at various points of her life, her childhood, and then her early girlhood days at school. But we mostly see her as an adult. And there are a bunch of events throughout her life leading to this feeling that there is an inevitability around the event that brings Gatsby into her life. But 
It's really in her adulthood that things come to heads through her closest friend, who is Daisy, and also through Daisy's cousin, Nick Carraway. And then in this version of The Great Gatsby, of course, we have magic. This is a fantasy book. And magic is this sort of present daily part of life, especially for these wealthy socialites. And there are these associations with privilege and magic, especially when it comes to this like demon bloods or demon potion sort of uh, substance that very much sounds like fine wine, the way they describe it, and uh, because of the vintages. And there's also the presence of other types of magic that Um, is wielded by, like, for instance, black farmers. There's this scene um, where we realize that this isn't a thing that just belongs to the privileged and the powerful. And then, of course, Jordan has a magic of her own. But then as far as, as actual power goes, like money, Gatsby seems to have access to a great deal of the stuff. And between the gossip and what Jordan actually knows about Gatsby, she has the wherewithal to be really careful around him. But, of course, Daisy and Nick are in Gatsby's sights, and then Jordan finds herself unable to avoid becoming a sort of cog in the gearworks of Gatsby's plans. And, you know, everybody knows Gatsby gets what Gatsby wants in this story. So I would say that the supernatural and the fantastic element story elements in the story are are really present, but they're sort of there in subtle ways so that it's easy to kind of forget that it's not just like this sort of 1920s world, this historical fiction, but it does, the story actually begins with magic and magic is peppered throughout it. And then there are also things like these xenophobic ghosts wandering hallways. And there's also paper cutting magic, which is really interesting. And then there's also glamoring and illusions and things like that. And I just... I really loved this book. It had this sort of, I don't know how to describe it, I guess like a sort of listing ennui. It was really moody and really chic and it sort of made me want to, you know, dress up and find an exclusive speakeasy to visit. (laughs) It was just really cool. It also made me really angry at some of the characters in the book and feel extremely wary on behalf of Jordan, who believes she has things on lock, even though... She has the sort of naivety that shows up in really subtle ways. And there's really something, I think, to relate to in Jordan if you're someone who's felt that, you know, your own culture and background are as distant and mysterious as outsiders make it seem. But then there's Jordan who has this sort of mid-Atlantic accent and these mannerisms that have been borrowed from the kinds of wealthy white families that produce wasps. And she seems to lean into that distance and has really complicated feelings about being associated with people of a similar background. And her first brush with Tonkin magic frightens her and her white friend. Um, But the fact that it frightened Jordan herself is, is kind of a notable thing. And, you know, there were moments where I, I kind of shook my head at Jordan and was like, oh, boy, what are you doing? But I also really felt for her in the scale of loneliness that was so obvious under this hard exterior and the show of ambivalence. Because I think she's someone who understands what's required from her uh, in order for her to sit at these well-appointed dinner tables with people who 
shout and rage about the very idea of anyone who doesn't come from like Nordic stock while also having these flashes of disgust and caution around these people. So it's a really interesting and magical and powerful story. And it does come with some warnings as well for racism and homophobia. And then there's also a kind of rough abortion scene just to note. Um, so yeah, again, that was The Chosen and the Beautiful by Nevo. I just loved that book to pieces. Yeah, that's been on my list, even though obviously not a great Gatsby fan, but I'm a yeah. fan of Vo. So I was like, well, probably I have to read it. Now I definitely have to yeah. read it. <laughs> From also, one Gatsby non-fan to another. <laughs> yeah. Also, you just gave me an idea for my next Backlist to the Future. We're going to do 1920s Ooh. Uh, sci-fi fantasy because now I think there are actually quite a few. So That's awesome. Be ready for that, folks. All <laughs> right. My speculative fiction, I'm saying speculative here because okay. this book has like elements of sci-fi, but also like horror, but also some stuff that feels a little magical. I don't even know. So <laughs> well, we're going to go with speculative. It is Sorrowland by Rivers Solomon. And... I believe I have read everything that Solomon has written at this point. And this book is amazing. It is also, like, it's so many things that I really, I don't usually script out very much. But I have a thousand notes for what <laughs> how to talk about this book. Because it's just like, there's so much going on. And there I also don't want to reveal certain things because I think the process of uncovering them along with the character is so essential to the story. So I, it's it's like a it's a weird book to try to talk about for me. Um, I will say before I start talking about it that this book is rough. There is no living being like animal, vegetable, mineral, human that is safe from harm or abuse. Like it is extremely dark and violent in a lot of in in just so many ways so you know you want to like gird yourself before picking this up it is all earned i will say and like it's so well done i think it's important it's not exploitative violence it's it's it is very essential to the story that is being told but just know that going in and i guess the thing i want to say first about this book is that vern who is our largely our narrator and main character is a triumph of a character like she is just incredible she like the story is propelled through her emotional journey like rage and fear and persistence and determination and this really fierce and flawed love for her people like I just have so many feelings about Vern and yeah she's she's incredible so like I <laughs> words like how do I make <laughs> yeah. words about this all right so I, I am going to give you some details uh, about the book so so Vern our protagonist she is a black albino 
teenager who is pregnant at the start of the book. She is escaping a compound that began as a black liberation movement, but has since become twisted and abused. And this is a sort of our an alternate present, I want to say, of our, our current timeline. Uh, and she has been shamed for her body and her sexuality and is like sort of, you know, looking down just a potential lifetime of manipulation. So she escapes to the woods. She delivers her babies and she's trying to be a good mother to her children and also like find, you know, some form of freedom for herself. And then things get extremely complicated in ways that I'm not going to detail because I really think you want to discover it along with Vern. But, you know, this is a book about the way that we construct gender, both as individuals and societies. It is about fungi. Like if you are a fan of weird fungus fiction, this absolutely needs to be on your list. It's also about medical experimentation on black populations. It's about generational trauma. It's about the weight of memory, which is a thing that Solomon has explored before and and explores again here. Um, And it's just so it just it's just incorporating so many different threads and it does it so seamlessly in the way that they all fit together. So I really I really can't recommend it enough. Even like saying, you know, it's a hard book in so many ways, but it is so worth it. It's so good. It's so good, y'all. It's really good. That's my pitch for Sorrowland by River <laughs> Solomon. That's that's all I got. I think you did a great job because that sounds like a really hard book to describe, not spoil, and also like just talk about without it just being a a the language of emotion, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's and there are concrete things, but again, like spoilers. But and there's also specifics that I think some readers will be really happy to see on the page. But also, like because they're part of the process of discovery, it's like, do I do I call them out or let you discover it for yourself? Like, it, you know, it's it's a it's an interesting thing. And I do think other reviewers are being more specific about certain details. So if you want more information, I you can go find that information. Absolutely. Um, but um, I'm not going to give it to you. I think yeah. I think it's worth discovering on your own and just knowing that like Solomon is so good at this, so good at this. That's awesome. Well, I struggled with the science fiction one. I wanted to give a shout out to Finna by Nino Cipri because. I really love that, but I literally just talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, you know what? Let, you, let me just uh, give another fantastic read of this year so far. So my science fiction pick is Victories Greater Than Death by Charlie Jane Anders. And I'm always really excited about a Charlie Jane Anders book. And that super glam cover featuring mm. a girl who looks like she's a member of Gem and the Holograms <laughs> was just so irresistible to my 80s heart. Um, so I had had this audio. I listened to the audio book uh, because I'd had it in my library for a while. So Victories Greater Than Death is at Anders' first YA book, and it is this rollicking, fun, inclusive, and queer space opera. And the story follows Tina, who's an unusual protagonist, I think, in that she knows she's a sort of 
chosen one in waiting, I guess. And when we meet her, she and her best friend Rachel are fully aware of the fact that she's an alien from another planet. And I'm like, how do you explain that to your best friend? But (laughs) (laughs) Rachel's totally on board. And Tina has these really big dreams of not only saving Earth, which is the world she calls home, but other worlds too, just being an all-around hero. And the reason she has these big dreams is because she is the clone of one of the most heroic figures in all the worlds who is no longer with us. And so she was sent to Earth as a clone to live with her adoptive mom so that she could be kept in hiding and... She's been kept in hiding because this is giving the good side of the fight a chance to defeat this really terrible and rising power, uh, ironically called the compassion. So Tina's been living on Earth where she and Rachel have been trying to activate in very hilarious ways, have been trying to activate this beacon that lives in Tina So she can be found and she can start on this great and grand legacy she's always fantasized about. But of course, you know, everything doesn't work out as neatly and as gloriously as she imagined they would. (laughs) Uh, So when Tina's day finally does come and she's swept off into space, she not only realizes just how terrible this threat is and how terrible the person who is directly after her is she also has to sort of relearn who she is and what she's meant to become uh, because she has all these doubts about herself that come into the picture so this is i think a really big bold adventurous sci-fi story with a really big cast of characters who bring those found family feels I know a lot of us look for. Uh, This is also a book that does a really great job to normalize things like stating pronouns in introductions and talking about different kinds of relationships and being respectful of and and not obnoxious about differences. And Mm. there are a bunch of young recruits from all over the world and from all sorts of backgrounds who join in the fight and they offer each other support. And, you know, they are, after all, teenagers on this potentially catastrophic and fatal mission. (laughs) Uh, So there's that. There's all sorts of calamities that happen. And you also get a great queer romance on the page and you you get to see Tina exploring her identity in all sorts of ways. Um, but I did, I do want to note, and this occurred to me as I was listening to this story, I just wanted to note that I would not characterize this book as YA crossover. Mm. Uh, like I know some of us open YA books looking for glimpses of adult appeal, but as I was reading this story, I had the distinct impression that this was written specifically for a teen audience. And I say this because I can absolutely see adults who love like all the birds in the sky looking for a similar tone. And this isn't that. There isn't that um, tone at all. So just I wanted to give some fair warning to anybody who was looking for something more crossovery. Um, but I think it reads young and has really teen energy, which I think young readers are going to love and really relate to. And it's written in first person, present tense. So we're in the mind of Tina the entire time hearing about her anxieties, her hopes, her disappointments on this sort of moment to moment, calamity to calamity basis. (laughs) And 
She reacts in ways that really feel true, especially to being a teen and really unsure about what the heck you're doing. And she misses things about herself because while she thinks she knows who she wants to be, she doubts who she is and what she's capable of. And she has, you know, limited experience with the world and her moments of heroism have centered around stuff like defending peers against bullies, which, you know, are great acts of heroism that can be minimized by the self-doubting. So it's just as messy and as satisfying as figuring yourself out can be. And I thought it was super endearing and very fast-paced and fun. So yeah, if you're looking for a fun space opera, that was Victories Greater Than Death. And this is the first book in the Unstoppable series, again, by Charlie Jane Anders. I love that idea of like big teen energy. That makes me happy. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. <laughs> that's great. Uh, all right. Well, that one's been on my list for a while, too. Clearly, I need to bump it up because I could use a romp, y'all. I could yeah. use a romp. Yeah. <laughs> I do recommend a romp. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, that is our show. And uh, here we are. We we did it. We managed to, to <laughs> narrow down our options. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. As always, if you have favorites of the year so far, you should send us those. We would love to hear what they are. You can send those to sffyeah at bookriot.com. Or if you have, you know, theme requests, uh, feedback generally, all of those good things. Thanks also go out to our amazing sound editor, D.R. Baker. Many thanks to them for making us sound great each and every episode. If you need more book recommendations, you can have those at bookriot.com. You can also find our other podcasts, of which we have a bunch, at bookriot.com slash listen. And if you would like to help other people to find the show, you can do that by reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. That does help. We're pretty sure anyway. And uh, we also appreciate seeing that feedback there. In between shows, you can find us online. Sharifa, where are you? I'm on Instagram. You can find me at Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL. That's J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.